Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. Welcome. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. You know, all the ruckus, all of the commotion, all the brouhaha that there has been in the wake of the firing of FBI Director James Comey, I find it to be just a little bit duplicitous and uh, just a trifle of a double standard, just a wee bit hypocritical. Imagine, imagine if Hillary Rodham Clinton had been elected president. Imagine. Would the media elites be up in arms screaming and demanding her impeachment after she summarily fired FBI Director James Comey? Perhaps I just uh, do not sufficiently appreciate the major media elites, but I find it hard, (laughs) terribly hard to imagine that that uproar would exist, that there would be an uproar, that there would be a brouhaha. Yes, there would undoubtedly be some statements from some strong, bold Republicans, you know, like Lindsey Graham and Mitch McConnell, you know, stating their less than pleasure at how he was dismissed, perchance. You know, they might might have been upset that he wasn't shown sufficient respect. Who knows? But the idea that the Republicans would be threatening to shut down the United States Senate and with it, in essence, to shut down the federal government is unimaginable. Absolutely, utterly, totally preposterous. But that is what the dear old Democrat Party, the Carpetbagger Party, is doing. And uh, with the full cooperation of the major media elites. And then we have you know, that bastion of conservatism, Fox News, who, whose mantra has been fair and balanced, you know, since its inception, since its creation by Roger Ailes. And their idea of fair and balanced has been to have all voices heard, have staunch leftists, appear and have those who are comparatively conservative, but it has been described, it has been made out to be some great bastion of conservatism, far from the truth. And uh, all this All these goings-ons with uh, their anchor, Shepard Smith, uh, 
give some inkling of that. But also, as I mentioned before, all of the women commentators on Fox News that I saw, every last one of them without exception that I heard, that I saw and heard, when I was a captive audience somewhere and I was watching regarding the offering of a Supreme Court nominee to fill the vacancy left by the unfortunate passing of Antonin Scalia, Associate Justice of the Supreme Court, the offering of a Republican (laughs) justice, federal justice, that was staunchly promoted by all of the women of Fox, all of the women commentators of Fox that I saw and heard staunchly promoted that, that that was what had to happen, that the Republicans in the Senate had to get behind this nomination because, for one thing, he was just a great guy, wonderful conservative, purportedly. And secondly, that when Hillary was elected, if she was elected and they expected her to be elected, that then she would fill that vacancy with somebody much worse. But what none of them mentioned was that this dear conservative who had such outstanding felicity to the Constitution, such patriotism, such hewing to the Constitution, uh, whatever his words were for describing that, that he was a strict constitutionalist, despite that, he voted to revert Washington, D.C., the capital of the United States of America, to a place where people, citizens, were prohibited from owning guns, prohibited from having guns in their homes for self-defense. This strict constitutionalist, purportedly, had no use for the Second Amendment. And he was all for infringing upon and going so far as to agree with prohibiting gun ownership in the capital of the United States of America. Even guns just to be kept at home, not concealed carry or open carry or any kind of carry, but just in their homes for defense against home invasion and similar vicious attacks, attacks on the street outside their home, upon them or upon their family and loved ones and friends. Great nomination to the Supreme Court. Oh, my word, we would have been so much better off if we went with him. But all of these wonderful, wise, conservative women of Fox were 100-plus percent behind that. And I remember this one 
young woman, conservative supposedly, and she left Fox. Uh, it was my understanding that, that Fox actually showed her the door. But I remember her referring to her favorite television program was Big Brother, I think it's called, reality program, so-called. But just the depth of the wisdom there. I just was, uh, yeah. So, meanwhile, our major media, boy, we need to tar and feather Donald Trump, President of the United States, run him out of town on a rail because he fired that wonderful, outstanding James Comey, whom Hillary Rodham Clinton would have kicked out immediately. (laughs) It's just remarkable. Perhaps you saw that uh, there's a brouhaha over in Israel. And the brouhaha over there is concerning media, specifically the Israeli Broadcasting Authority, the IBA. Well, they have had a newscast, an evening newscast. It goes back to the inception, almost, seemingly, of Israel, of the modern state of Israel. But not quite, not quite. It, It only goes back 49 years. So, not back to the incredible, miraculous survival of Israel against the onslaught by Muslims, by Islamists, numbering, oh, I can't recall now, 40 million, whatever, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, Jordan, Syria, the whole kit and caboodle, who attempted to invade and annihilate, invade Israel, and annihilate all of the Jews and Christians, drive them into the sea, into the Mediterranean Sea. Well, they had all the help they could get from Britain, Great Britain, who saw to it that Israel had no weaponry. The Israelis were only, the Hebrews were only just recovering from the monstrous, monstrous genocides suffered during and after World War II. I actually would say before, during, and after World War II because the genocides began against the Jews before World War II was officially on. And they continued in the USSR after World War II had become ashes. But Hebrews who had attempted to gain passage to Israel, those who were delivered from concentration camps, those who survived the monstrous Europe-wide genocide of Jews and a great many Christians, And they attempted to make it to Israel thanks to dear old Great Britain. So many of them were turned away. Perhaps you've seen the movie Exodus that goes way back when and starred Paul Newman and Eva Marie Saint. 
and Sal Mineo, and I can't think who all was in it. Uh, but it was a, what do they like to call those? A um, There is a term, but it is fiction based on nonfiction. <laughs> Historical drama, something like that. And the nation of Israel was essentially defenseless. It consisted of a great many Arabs. And of the Jews that were there, many of them were aged. Many of them were infirm, greatly afflicted, wounded, crippled, what have you, disabled because of World War II, because of the genocides that had been committed against the Jews prior to, during, and after World War II, and because of the enormous difficulty they found in attempting to go home, as it were, to make Aliyah, to go to Israel. So the Muslims had everything in their favor. They had been armed to the teeth by Hitler's Nazi Third Reich, yes, with whom they were in cahoots, with whom they were allies. It's so strange, you know, you hear about World War II and the terrible Axis powers. The Axis powers were Hitler's Nazi Third Reich, Hirohito's imperialist Japan, and Mussolini's comparatively pitiful Italian regime, which was vicious, but comparatively pitiful. And nowhere do you hear about the Arabs, about the Muslims, about the Islamists. Fascinating. Uh, But you just, you never do. Perhaps if you read some excellent account out of Israel, perhaps you will hear about that. But you just don't. You know, and in this day and age, of course, so much of what is promoted is that that there actually was no Holocaust. (laughs) Uh, But Israel was a land populated by Arabs to a great extent. And the walking wounded Jews, and many of them women, many of them elderly, others, that many that were children, and they had to defend themselves against an all-out onslaught, concerted invasion attempt by all of the Islamist countries surrounding them. And they miraculously survived, even though, again, They were essentially defenseless, and they'd been stripped of any weapons. The Brits took all of theirs back home with them and sailed away to allow Israel to be annihilated. But back to Israel. So this evening newscast, the flagship 
evening newscast, 49 years old, as it were. So comparatively modern (laughs) in relation to when the modern state of Israel came into existence in 1948. But the Israeli Broadcast Association, or whatever it is called, the IBA, it has been shut down. And the newscast was terminated. And what I found fascinating, the reason for it, it's like with a radio station going dark. A radio station changes ownership and perchance has a format flip or format change. It changes from hard rock to golden oldies or from golden oldies to variety or from variety to talk or from talk to news talk or so-called Christian talk, which actually is typically Christian teaching programs, and on the list goes. Uh, Maybe to R&B, maybe to hip-hop, but it's not uncommon for there to be a transition in which the station goes dark for a day or something like that. Sometimes it's longer than that, and sometimes it's less than that. But so they shut it down in order to make significant change. And what I found fascinating, because there's been a huge uproar about it, what I found fascinating is that the Israeli Broadcasting Authority employed 1,500 people. 1,500 employees, 440 of whom were immediately rehired into the new organization. And more will be added to that. But needless to say, that is major layoff. You know, 1,500 employees there one day, zero the next, 440 hired back, which is just less than a third, and then more will be hired back. But Benjamin Netanyahu, prime minister there, he has been upset with, and understandably so, with the IBA, with the Israeli Broadcasting Authority for some time. Because, surprise, surprise, like the major media elites in the United States of America, and like PBS in the United States of America, it tends to be just a trifle leftist. (laughs) But then the Israeli governments have been a trifle leftist. Even those that are supposedly conservative have been leftist. Socialism is so entrenched in Israel. And the so-called founding fathers of Israel could be lined up and the spectrum basically went from socialist to communist. And it's like, okay, well, so who are the conservatives? The communists? <laughs> I mean, it was just amazing. But dear old David Ben-Gurion and the rest and Golda Meir and so forth, socialists, Yitzhak Rabin and Shimon Perez, and on it goes. Even those viewed as really conservative, uh, it's, it's a, a curious conservatism. Ariel Sharon, 
atheist. Moshe Dayan, known for battlefield heroics along with Ariel Sharon, but to a lesser extent than Ariel Sharon, and another former general whose name eludes me, but you find this over and over and over again. So many of the leaders of Israel have been atheists. So many of them. And if they're not atheists, they are the most watered-down, diluted version of Jew you could find. But even those that are supposedly Orthodox Jews, they haven't had any ultra-Orthodox leaders that I can think of. Menachem Begin, I believe, was Orthodox. But I don't recall any ultra-Orthodox that have gotten to that level up to prime minister, even though it is reflected in the political scheme of things. But it is so far removed from biblical Jewry. (laughs) It's just terribly far removed. And Israel survives in spite of truly being to such an extent, an atheist and agnostic state, a secular state, a secular nation inhabited by a great many Muslims, Islamists, so forth. But so the IBA has had this change. And what was fascinating to me about it was that they didn't mention any other programming, just this evening newscast. I'm thinking 1,500 people to staff an evening newscast. Wow, that is really an astonishing number to me. That talks of, or speaks of enormous bureaucratic largesse, <laughs> to say the least. So now they've got 440 to do it. I think that probably is just about enough. But now maybe they do a great Great deal more programming than that evening newscast. I assume they undoubtedly do. But nonetheless, 440 seems like it's probably a large enough number to handle that. Uh, Thinking uh, my own experience with regard to uh, TV programs, I just am a a bit astonished at that. Well, I'll move along from that. Poor Israel. For Israel, and of course there's this huge brouhaha against Benjamin Netanyahu, Benjamin, Bibi Netanyahu, for doing this terrible, terrible, evil thing, you know, like, like Trump firing James Comey. Uh, but lo and behold, it was long overdue, <laughs> badly long overdue. And uh, to hear the people talk about it, they were all entitled to those positions, And now they have to find new positions. And, uh, oh, well, just just breathtaking. Perhaps you've seen the movie Taking Chance. And perhaps you haven't. But um, I recommend it if you haven't seen it. And it follows the return of the remains of an outstandingly valiant young 
soldier for burial. And I believe they said he was buried eight days uh, after he was killed in action. Killed while serving with extraordinary valor and distinction. Responsible for having saved his platoon from death by ambush. So taking chance. Chance is the first name of this young man. And it stars Kevin Bacon, whom I try not to watch his movies because he's been in so many bad or poor movies, (laughs) by my way of thinking. But one overriding theme throughout this, this movie that was based on a true story was the respect paid to chance by all of those who came in contact with him as far as how his body was prepared for burial And at each stage of the trip, taking him home, not home to where he had enlisted, which was, I can't remember now where in Colorado it was, but it's where where the character played by Kevin Bacon was from, which is why he got involved in the first place. But instead being taken home to... It was Montana, I believe it was somewhere in uh, between Billings and Bozeman and Butte. A <laughs> uh, small place there. But the respect paid to him. A very small, small kindness greatly deserved, but paid to him at every stage, including on the flights, at the airports, and so forth. But within that, the emphasis was on, apart from the respect showed by civilians and former members of military, veterans, apart from that, what was demonstrated by active military was the same kind of thing, the same kind of ritualistic military pomp and circumstance that I've witnessed at Arlington National Cemetery at the grave for the unknown soldier, whatever, that, uh, and which I found disturbing. And that is... Why is it that some extremely slow, scripted, posed, uh, I don't know what to call it, but military ritual, why that supposedly confers such great 
love and respect and honor and what have you for a fallen soldier. To me, it doesn't. To me, that smacked terribly of what they had in Nazi Germany. It tasted remarkably like what I have seen in the past, back when dear old Muammar Gaddafi was the dictator in Libya, and when Saddam Hussein was the dictator in Iraq, and what I've seen in other nations, and even in banana republics, and so on and so forth. And it is more of a tribute, instead of a tribute in terms of what's really going on, the way it struck me, instead of it being a tribute to these fallen soldiers, it was a tribute to military machine might. It's what you see in the communist dictatorships. And it's a robotic ritual, a robotic, robotic ritual. And ah, it smacks more of something demonic than it does of something from God. And, and, but that's the highest honor that we pay, tribute that we pay. Meanwhile, our military, our wonderful military, has been degraded and defiled and feminized and sodomized and chaplains trained to minister to Satanists as they are, where they are, without infringing on their beliefs, without evangelizing them. And our militaries have been filled with Muslims, Muslim chaplains, imams, clerics. Even though Islam is dedicated to the annihilation of Christianity and Jewry. And in addition to all of those little problems, hardly worth mentioning, then there's the matter of the career bureaucrats in the military, not just the career soldiers, the career officers, the career bureaucrats who have risen to the ranks that they have in the military via politics in the military. But even going back as far back as you want into antiquity, good, honorable, courageous soldiers have died as a result of incompetent leadership. Whether it's the charge of the Light Brigade, all the way up to now, and charge of the light brigade doesn't go that far back, whether George Custer and so on and so forth. So many, and certainly through the, the war between the states, so many lives lost monstrously because of incompetent leadership. It was true during World War II for the United States of America. It was true in Vietnam. And also, thanks to weaponry 
that was fatally flawed, as was referenced in the movie The Pentagon Wars, which was the story of Colonel James G. Burton, United States Air Force. He's retired. He was forced to retire. And this centered around the Bradley fighting vehicle, a name for Omar Bradley, and it was a troop transport vehicle, supposedly. But it's a fascinating story, even though, again, <laughs> the movie version tells it less well than the book version would. I nonetheless, I commend it for your consumption because it is interesting. It does give some, some light on what's going on there. But for me, the real loving tribute to chance... It wasn't the military protocols. It was the outpouring of public support, honor, recognition for him. Chance's parents requested that donations be provided to pay for body armor for deployed soldiers, soldiers deployed to Iraq and Afghanistan in lieu of other forms of remembrance for chance, in lieu of flowers, in lieu of anything else, that money be donated for body armor. This took place in the comparatively early days of the occupation, invasion and occupation of Iraq. But that went on for years, American soldiers being blown up and being slain by gunfire because of not having body armor, not having adequate body armor, having to ride in Humvees that were not armored, (laughs) or Humvees that were armored instead of tanks, instead of troop carriers, such as the Bradley troop transport vehicle. And even though all of our great technology, our wonderful technology, our world-beating, soul-world superpower technology, amazingly enough, we were not able to keep a very few roads, a very few highways clear of IEDs, of improvised explosive devices, which kept on with their reign of terror against U.S. troops for years and years and years, thanks to bureaucratic incompetence all the way to the president. The buck stops at the president's desk, President George W. Bush's desk, and then following that at dear old Barack Hussein Obama's. And, of course, now at Donald Trump's. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After All is Said and Done then we will know, won't we? Well, the reason for repeating that is if you came into the program after the initial introduction, just so you know what the program is, who I am. Happened to see a movie. No, I don't go to the movies. I don't go to the movies. I I don't even have TV service, but... uh, Happened to see a movie that I thought I was expecting would be halfway enjoyable despite the leftist slant and what have you. Bridget Jones' Baby, starring Renee Zellweger and Colin Firth and uh, 
Patrick Dempsey in place of Hugh Grant. I was so disappointed and appalled because this latest, this latest sequel to the Bridget Jones anthology, if you will, it was so monstrously laced with rampant profanity, including taking the name of the Lord in vain. Yes, using God and Christ as gag lines. This is so common in entertainment that comes out of Hollywood or that originates in Hollywood and is produced elsewhere. So common. And it is something that the entertainment industry, if the entertainment industry had a soul, the entertainment industry should be ashamed of. But to say that there is no need for it is such a ridiculous understatement. There's no excuse for it. And in light entertainment, romantic comedy, and you have to bombard people with vile profanity and with taking the name of the Lord in vain. It's disgusting. Well, from the ridiculous to the sublime, or vice versa, more on crime and non-punishment in this nation, Perhaps, perchance, you heard about uh, the latest go-round pertaining to Aaron Hernandez. Aaron Hernandez, former young star, tight end, move tight end for the New England Patriots NFL team. Many-time Super Bowl winning team, five times in the Robert Kraft, Bill Belichick era, Tom Brady era. Uh, Well, one of our outstanding judges, Judge E, like Elizabeth or Emily or what happened, Ellen, E. Susan Garsh, determined that Aaron Hernandez's murder conviction should be thrown out. And the reason for this, the tortured reasoning for this, she's claiming that there is consistent precedent, unbroken precedent for doing this, that when a convicted felon dies while their conviction is on appeal, that the conviction automatically has to be overturned. And the effect of that is it is as if the person had never been convicted. Okay. So it's not a presidential pardon. No, 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 no. This is an expunging of conviction. This is an expunging 
of the record. Well, the prosecutors, I thought, made reasonably good points saying that Aaron Thug Hernandez, they didn't call him that, that's me, should not be able to accomplish in death what he could not accomplish in life. But anyway, our dear old justice system again does such wonderful justice. Yes, another gross, gross miscarriage of justice. Well, we'll see how, how it works out. I mean, it's, it's a done deal. Yeah, it's a done deal. He didn't commit murder of Odin Lloyd. Oh, no, no, he didn't do that. And how many others? We don't know. He was acquitted. He was found not guilty of a double murder in Boston prior to the Odin Lloyd murder. But contrary to what our wonderful media says, being found not guilty does not prove you're not guilty. When the requirement is that there be a unanimous verdict in order to convict. Failing to convict does not prove anything. Which is not to say that innocent people are never convicted. There have been cases of that, and invariably it's shoddy evidence, a dearth of evidence, and where somehow clever prosecutors manage to get a conviction anyway. But more often than not, the guilty go free. More often than not, there is failure to convict. Vicious, heinous murderers are not convicted. And if they are convicted, they're convicted of lesser charges, charges that are pled down. And then their prison sentences are shortened further and further. And just to an appalling extent. But perhaps you saw the account of a guilty verdict of Antolin Garcia Torres, who murdered a beautiful, wonderful 16-year-old girl, Sierra Lamar, in California some years ago. And her body was never discovered. Fortunately, thankfully, the prosecutors did not cut a deal with this vicious, heinous murderer in order to find the body. How many times have you seen that? Where the prosecution will cut a deal with some heinous, monstrous murderer in exchange for that murderer showing them where the bodies are. How many times has that happened? It's because we have zero connection with biblical justice. It doesn't exist in this so-called Christian nation. 
which is not a Christian nation, but which was founded on Christian faith and is is home to many Christians and to many hireling Christian, so-called Christian ministers, as well as decent ones. And pardon me, she was 15 years old at the time of her death, at the time she was murdered. So now they have to decide, well, will he face the death penalty? Oh, dear, not that. For a vicious murder? No, no, no. We must not have execution or merely imprisonment. Well, this girl, her mother had just moved. They had just moved, and she was on her way to school and was never heard from again. But the circumstantial evidence was absolutely overwhelming. DNA evidence in the form of her hair found entangled in a rope in the trunk of his car, if I remember correctly. And also his DNA on her clothing that he disposed of, and so forth, and, and more than that. But, again, justice in the United States of America. So he's been found guilty. Of course there will be an appeal, or two appeals, or three appeals, and it will continue to go on for years. But this is, this is life in the United States of America. The murder was March 16th of 2012. But this precious girl, who was known as a sweetheart, a darling girl. But we have a nation which has pandered to, encouraged, rewarded vicious, rapacious murderers for decades, courtesy of our wonderful Supreme Court, among others, in addition to myriad monstrous federal judges. I remember one outstanding case of a so-called judge. I don't remember her name. Uh, And I have changed computers over the years and lost records and what have you. But anyway... uh, She's a black woman, a woman of color in the Philadelphia area. And she was a judge that William Jefferson Clinton, Albert Arnold Gore Jr., and of course Bill Clinton's co-president, Hillary Rodham Clinton, were putting up for a lifetime federal appointment. Uh, And of course then the next step would be to the Supreme Court. And she was just in disgrace monstrous. What she got away with in court was incredible. And, oh, she was just the most hideous excuse of a judge. But she was handpicked by Bill and Hillary to be a federal judge, a lifetime appointment, 
and that then could be elevated to the Supreme Court. And more on crime and non-punishment. This young man, I say young, 30 years of age, and I cannot describe, cannot adequately um, state his name, but I will do my best. Bam Pumim Teshera. Teshera, like Mark Teshera, I believe it was Mark uh, Teshera, outstanding uh, third baseman and f- later first baseman and designated hitter for the New York Yankees. Tish- spelled the same way, Teshera. But Bam Pumin, well, this fellow, he had been, interestingly enough, because after all, he would have a record so clean, he had been hired, employed as a security guard at a swanky condominium complex. Now, the reason I mention that is because this fine fellow, he committed a vicious, monstrous murder of a couple doctors who were engaged, who lived there. Dr. Lina Bolanos and Dr. Richard Field. And this was in Boston. And he accosted them apparently outside of their condominium unit with a gun that they thought was a real gun. It turned out to be a BB gun or some such thing that he had doctored. And these two people, instead of fighting for their lives, they allowed him to then take him into the condominium, tie them up, bind them. He robbed them and then he stabbed them to death. And the police came because she had managed to text that there was a gunman in their unit. The police came and they caught him. But of course, how do you refer to this fellow? Well, he is an alleged, alleged attacker. Even though he butchered these two people in this condo, and he was there when the police arrived, he murdered them with a knife. Nonetheless, he allegedly did this. He's a suspect. They refer to him as a suspect in the killings of two engaged doctors. And uh, just remarkable. I mean, what's the worst that can happen to this guy? He's in Massachusetts. There will be no death penalty. Again, the trial procedure will go on for years, will cost the American people a fortune. He wasn't satisfied to just rob these people. blind. No, he had to murder them. And to go along with the tips I gave uh, on the last broadcast, under no circumstances allow yourselves to be bound. Fight for your lives. Do not allow yourselves to be bound. Assuming that, thinking whatever, thinking the best, that, oh, well, they will let us go. They'll let us live. No. 
You make yourself defenseless. <laughs> Cannot do that. But anyway, it's wonderful in the United States of America, the things that go on. The wonderful things that go on. Well, with regard to Aaron Hernandez, uh, it looks like then the uh, New England Patriots may be on the hook for paying, <laughs> paying him, posthumously paying him oh, another $6 million or something. Odin Lloyd's mother has requested that that money be paid to her family, which would be ever so much more appropriate, shall we say. But anyway, a wonderful judge. She did a great job, and things will be great. I'm Brad Thomas. And this is after all is said and done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now if we choose to. Thank you. <laughs>